I'm Crystal DiMicelli, and welcome to the Forces for Nature show. Do you find yourself overwhelmed with all the doom and gloom you hear of these days? Do you feel like you, as just one person, can't really make a difference? Forces for Nature cuts through that negativity. In each episode, I interview somebody who's doing great things for animals and the environment. We talk about the challenge they're addressing, the solution they have found, what keeps them going, and we'll leave you with practical action tips so that you too can become a force for nature. Today's guest is Dr. Rodrigo Medellin, otherwise affectionately known as the Batman. He's an award-winning ecologist who's been a key player in the conservation of these misunderstood animals, so much so that his work helped to get the lesser long-nosed bat off the endangered species list. And for anyone with an appreciation for margaritas, they should be grateful for that. That's because the species is vital for the pollination and reproduction of the wild agave plant, the plant that gives us products such as tequila and mezcal. Why not pour yourself a drink and enjoy listening to Rodrigo tell us more? Oh, and just a quick side note, please excuse some of the construction noises that you'll hear at certain points. Hi, Dr. Rodrigo. Thank you so much for joining me on Forces for Nature. It's so great to have you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for calling, Crystal. So let's jump right in. Can you tell me why bats are indispensable to humans? Sure, absolutely. Bats, believe it or not, touch each and every one of your days. They provide incredible services and products that we would not have without them. There's three major benefits that we enjoy every day, and we can really summarize them very quickly. Pest control. I mean, if you ate any rice, any corn, any tomatoes or, or chili peppers or squash or zucchini, whatever, you are connected with bats because bats are the most effective pest controllers of those crops and many more. If you had any coffee or any tea, equally, you are connected to bats. And if you're wearing any cotton, our estimates is, is that about one-third of, of the cotton in the world is due to bats eating the main pests of, of cotton. So that is the first one. The second one is seed dispersal. I live in a tropical country, Mexico, but everywhere in the tropics, you are going to the to the market in, in, in the summer like now, and you're going to find a lot of different fruits that are actually dispersed by bats. In other words, from sapotes to what we call ciruelas to guavas to mangoes to figs, etc., many more, dozens and dozens of different fruits, we have them because bats have been dispersing the seeds of these plants for millions of years. Now, the, the benefit doesn't stop there. The benefit of seed-dispersing bats is that they are in charge of regenerating the tropical forests of the world. Africa, Asia, Latin America, you name it. It's actually bats that are dispersing the seeds. And we have measured that bats disperse between three and five seeds per square meter per day whereas birds disperse between half and one seed per square meter per day. So we, 
we do see the birds because, you know, birds are diurnal and visual like us, but bats are nocturnal and acoustic, and we do not trust bats with them. So it's very difficult for us to see them. And what we see is that little bird eating at fruit and, and dropping some seeds and everything. Well, bats disperse five times more seeds than birds. So if you, if you allow bats to, to do their deed, they are going to regenerate the tropical forests of the world in a flash. And then the last one is pollination. There's many species of plants that are ecologically or economically important that depend on bats for their pollination. Let's take, for example, if you go to the, to the deserts of the southwest of the United States, the north of Mexico and central Mexico as well, you are going to see these incredibly beautiful giant columnar cacti. All of the columnar cacti depend on bats for their pollination. So imagine a Western movie without columnar cacti. That's what it would look like if bats were not there. And finally, what can I tell you, Crystal, as a Mexican, given the fact that bats are the main pollinators of agaves, which is the main source for tequila and for mezcal, which is part of our identity and represents many billions of dollars for the Mexican economy. More than 50,000 families are connected to this economy. Every drop of tequila and mezcal is connected to bats because bats pollinate agaves. Wow, and I'm, I wonder how many people actually realize that. It is time that everybody realizes that, everybody recognizes that, and not only that. I mean, if, you're, if your audience is people who are interested in biodiversity, is concerned on biodiversity, well, let me tell you this little bit of information. Take Whatever alcoholic beverage of choice that you prefer to drink on weekends or on holidays or whatever. All right. Now I have to tell you that that drink that you chose comes from a monoculture. It's doing nothing to protect biodiversity except for mezcal. Mezcal is the only alcoholic beverage that is commercially available that does not come from monocultures. It comes from managed ecosystems, sure. But Every plant of agave is interacting with a lot of other plants and a lot of other animals. So if you're truly determined to protect biodiversity, to help biodiversity in every way, your beverage of choice has to be mezcal. Now that's any kind of mezcal or only the certified ah, very good which question. I want to get into as very well? Very good question because yeah. it's really not any kind of mezcal. And that is when it gets a little tricky. You have to dig deeper and look at the bottle and look at the label and look at how it was, it was produced. If the label has absolutely zero information, how was it harvested? How was it cooked? How was it crushed? How was it fermented? How was it distilled? Then that is not a good mezcal. And, you know, the mezcal producers know it. You go to any liquor store and you start looking at different bottles, you're going to find some bottles that give you a lot more information than others. The more information that you get, the more likely that mezcal is good for biodiversity and it is a good product for you. As we say in Mexico, para todo mal, mezcal. Para todo bien, también. <laughs> Can you translate that for non-Spanish speakers? Sure. For all evil, mezcal. For all good, as well. <laughs> yep, I get that. 
And well, speaking of looking at labels, you helped to create the bat-friendly certification for tequila and mezcal, which is a stamp that you can find on the bottles. What makes a product bat-friendly? Basically, what happens is agaves are these, these spiky, round plants that grow, and every year they accumulate sugar, and they accumulate sugar, accumulate sugar, until their sexual reproduction age comes to happen, and then they invest every last ounce of those sugars into one single sexual reproductive event. And then they grow this flowering stalk into the sky, open their arm, and, and then the bats are attracted, and, and bats carry out pollination, exchanging genetic information between one plant and another, and therefore securing the future of agaves. The problem is that tequila producers have learned that if they harvest the plants just before they start flowering, they maximize the amount of sugar in the plant, and therefore they maximize the amount of alcohol that they produce. So they have not allowed a single plant to flower for more than 150 years. And instead, what they do is when they harvest uh, an agave field, they use the baby agaves that grow under the parent plant that are clonal copies, exact copies, exact genetic copies of the parent plant to replant the field. And what, the, what that does is they're losing genetic diversity every time they do it. So much so that today we know that 260 million plants of agave are clones of five individuals, and that's all. So genetic diversity is zero. It's really high time that the producers allow the tequila producers, because mezcal doesn't have that problem, but, but the tequila producers allow 5% and only 5% of those agaves to flower. And then the University of Mexico and the Tequila Interchange Project, which is an organization composed of bartenders, tequila producers, tequila marketers, etc., we, we recognize your efforts and that label goes on, on the bottle telling the consumer this is a bat-friendly tequila, bat-friendly mezcal. Besides this loss of food sources from the creation of cloned monocultures, what are other threats that bats face? Yeah, we've been looking at threats of bats around the world, and it really boils down to a handful of threats. The main being the lack of information in the public, which ends up causing that people kill bats out of fear out of not knowing how important, how crucial they are for the ecosystem functioning and for our well-being. Meaning that the, here in Mexico and many places in Latin America, the main threat is the destruction of roosts. People go into caves or, or tunnels or bridges or old warehouses and things that have, that have bats in them, and they either fumigate them or burn them or dynamite them or gas them, all kinds of things. And, and fortunately, that threat is a very easy threat to counter. All it takes is really that one bad biologist comes to talk to that community, talk to those people, and in half an hour, Crystal, seriously, in half an hour, you can turn them into bad defenders. You give them the, the evidence, you give them the fact, you give them the images, and they are there in a flash. Now, there's many others, many other threats, and not many, but several others. For example, 
the destruction of habitat has been a, a, a major problem in many places for some species of bats. Wind energy, we've shown that wind energy may become a threat if not properly mitigated. Wind energy. The issue here is that we have the mitigation measures. We identify. And a few places, especially in the United States, you can actually see the mitigation. Basically, the mitigation is this. When you, when you have a, a wind farm, the wind turbines start turning at a wind speed of about three meters per second, which is a breeze. It's a breeze. And because it's a breeze, there's a lot of insects up there, and therefore there's a lot of bats up there, and therefore a lot of bats are being killed by the turbine. At six meters per second, which is still a breeze, but a little stronger, think of when you're sitting on the, on the beach. That is the kind of a breeze that six meters per second is. At six meters per second, the, the insects cannot control their flight. So they stop flying, they grab to whatever surface, and therefore the bats are not around. If you change the kick-in wind speed at which the wind turbine starts turning from 3 meters per second to 6 meters per second, then that in itself saves about 70% of the mortality that that particular wind turbine is going to cause. And in the process, any particular individual wind turbine produces about 1% of the energy that it's going to produce in a year in that interval from three to six meters per second. So for 1% of the energy, you're saving 70% of the bats. It's a no-brainer. It should be straightforward. Fortunately, there are several companies that are already implementing that. Of course, we have to talk about white-nose syndrome, that disease that has killed about 6 million bats in the United States alone, and that came to the United States as an exotic invasive, likely in the boots of a spelunker who came from Europe, which where the fungus that causes the disease is endemic, and, and brought it into upstate New York. And in upstate New York, they, they went into a cave, and that started, that's the, that's the epicenter of the growth of the disease. Now, the disease killed from 2006 to 2010 about 6 million bats. From 2010 to now, not another million bats has been killed. Bats are becoming resistant. People are doing all kinds of things to protect bats from the disease, etc. So therefore, the threat that this disease is causing is, is diminishing. It's likely that the fungus is going to come into Mexico, but Mexico is not going to have a major problem in terms of the disease killing many bats here. And then finally, the last threat that I can really think of is heavy metals and other pesticides and other chemicals that people use that may end up killing bats. And we can also mitigate those. So in terms of the threats, threats are manageable. We can protect bats from those threats. Quick little side note story. I'm a part of a group called the Merging Wildlife Conservation Leaders. And when you're in, in the program, you do training for two years and you take on a project. And so our group, our project was to work with Bat Conservation International, and they had requested that we create bat guano harvesting guidelines. And we created these guidelines that were then accepted by the IUCN. Fantastic. Well, guess what? We are using your guidelines because we are producing the first ever 
bat-friendly guano. So ah. uh, uh, next year, we're launching a new product that is going to Home Depots and things like that, that is going to have the seal of the University of Mexico saying this guano has been harvested safely for the bats. And you are looking at the IUCN guidelines for that? We are. Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> Small, small, it's small, small world. world. <laughs> <laughs> so bats have a very special place in my heart. Thank you for your work. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> now, bats have gained a bad reputation because they've been associated with the transmission of diseases. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. The main, the main issue when you're working with bats and trying to protect bats is their public image. There's many animals that have a negative public image. You look at snakes, at scorpions, at spiders, at sharks, at bats. People don't like those animals. Well, none of those animals does more for our everyday well-being than bats. So the first thing that we need to do is to, to improve that image. And the problem is, you know, that bad image comes from the Dracula times and from the Devil Association. Uh, things that are really not true. And then along comes COVID. And then there is this particular clique of scientists who are claiming that bats gave us COVID. There's absolutely zero evidence, Crystal. Zero evidence that bats gave us COVID. It is true that there is this one virus that is, that is 96% similar to the virus that gives us COVID. That doesn't mean that this virus from us is coming from that virus. The truth is that those two viruses share a common ancestor. Nobody knows how long ago. And that common ancestor gave rise to a lot of other coronaviruses, many of those that are not a problem. So unfortunately, very dire statements in places like National Public Radio and other places said that bats gave us COVID and that you are, that if you have bats living in your belfry or if you're going into a cave or if you if a bat flies by you you're exposed to the virus not true absolutely not true categorically not true so when i don't think i have ever worked harder crystal than in the last two and a half years in which i have been giving lectures and lectures and lectures of why it is not true that bats gave us covid defending bats from this crazy accusation. Fortunately, people have seen that it is the truth, that if you're going to unfortunately get the disease, you're going to get it from another human being, not from a bat. What have you done to help people become enamored with these animals? Because people under misunderstand them and they're afraid of bats. I know. And, and it began many years ago, more than 30 years ago, that I started doing this. And, and you start finding the best conduit to convey the information. It's just a matter of learning the facts and communicating the facts. Once you dispel the myths and once you give them the right information, people are going to themselves expand and, and multiply and diversify that information to the rest of their nucleus, etc. What are a couple of myths that people are convinced of? Well, one of them, of course, is associated with that Dracula book. 
I mean, I love the novel. The novel is amazing. But let's let's look at the origin of this. When Hernán Cortés came with his army and with his scribes, one of them, Gonzalo Fernández de Oviedo, was a very observant guy, a guy who with a very good eye for natural history. And he saw that the first night that their horses and the soldiers spent on the coast of Mexico, he saw these little, he never uses the word bats. He saw these little animals that were landing, that were flying and landing on the horses or on the, on the soldiers and biting them to feed on the blood. Well, that is what Gonzalo Fernandez de Oviedo reflected in his chronicles. Then let's fast forward 350 years into the future and let's go to Ireland where Bram Stoker is writing his beautiful novel Dracula, where he introduces the, the concept of a vampire. Now, the, the word vampire comes from the Serb, from Central Europe, and it's referring to a human being that is dead, that wakes up at night and goes around biting young people for the blood. That is the origin of the word vampire. Never a connection with the figure of a bat. But it's actually Bram Stoker who did us the unfavor of connecting the two and showing how a vampire, a human being that is dead, that is bloodthirsty, in order for him to fly long distances, then he would turn into a bat. And that is the beginning of the demise of the public image of bats. So mm -hmm. from that to the devil, that they are the envoys of the devil, etc., all of those things have intertwined to make it very difficult to people to, to actually appreciate bad for what they are. So we, we have still a lot to do to counter that negative image. It sounds to me that it boils down to misunderstanding or just not knowing the facts. Absolutely. Now, can you tell me about a time when you said to yourself, this, this is why I do it. So a success story or a proud moment. Oh, yes. There's many, there's many, but let me tell you one at least. I'd like to go incognito to caves without telling anybody that Dr. Medellin is coming by. And Laura Navarro, my environmental education director, had been working on a cave in Michoacán, west of here, for several years. So I just drove by with my family and I stopped at the cave. This cave used to be a cave in which it, it has lots of fossils, mostly of ferns, in which the kids, the local kids, would take fossil ferns and sell them to you for a peso. This time, I get out of the car and two kids come to, come to us and they tell us, give me a peso and I'll tell you why bats are good. I'll tell you what bats are here and how do they benefit our lives. My God, that was a dream come true for me. <laughs> oh, wow. Imagine my feeling, right? I mean, that, and, and, and of course I gave him the peso. And of course, exactly, of course. And, you know, his, his facts were right there, one after the other, one after the other. He kept everything absolutely clear. Oh, fantastic. That has to feel so amazing. Amazing. 
I cannot tell you how good I felt. Now, what can the listener do to help wherever they are to help bats? There's many things that any listener in the world can do to benefit bats. Number one is communicate what you learned today in today's show. Just just tell your family, your friends, at the office, at the school, whatever. You tell them about how bats are important to us. Number two, find out what bat protection organizations are in your area. There's many all around the world and connect with them. We have several here in Mexico, citizen science projects to help bats. You, you, can, you can connect with those and not only report bats that may be in trouble, but also tell us about bat colonies that may not be recognized here in Mexico City. We have 14 different colonies right now of thousands of bats, each and every one of them. So you can, you can continue help us learn about where bats are, why are they there, how many are there, how long, so on and so forth, all of the natural history. Number three, get a bat detector. There's many bat detectors. There's one brand called Echometer Touch. Echometer Touch is a little square that you plug onto your phone like that, and it turns your phone into a bat detector. You go out at night, Crystal, in Rome, get one of those things, and you're going to have a blast. You're going to be walking on the streets of Rome, and you're going to detect these bats and these little things, not with absolute certainty, but it's going to give you an idea of what's the species of bat that is flying around you. Number four, you can build, and this is a lovely family project, you can build a bat house and put a bat house up against the wall of your house or against a tree. Or, there's lots of guidelines, and Eurobats, an organization that protects bats all of Europe, has a lot of guidelines of how to create the best bat house for your region, for your species, etc., and just, you know, enjoy the bats coming in and taking some mosquitoes out of your hair and, and taking the moths and, you know, basically seeing the bats coming out every night. It's just an amazing, beautiful thing that everyone can do. And I want to bring up what we mentioned before with looking for bat-certified mezcal and tequila. Bat-friendly mezcal, bat-friendly tequila. Absolutely. That's another thing. And this is, this is a most open invitation to everyone. Next time you enjoy a nice sip of mezcal or tequila, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, spring breakers that are going, <laughs> no. You know, the, the, the next time you enjoy a nice, quiet evening, pour some tequila, pour some mezcal, and the first sip, drink it to the, to the health of bats. Thank the bats for everything they do. They need it, and we're due to give them justice. Absolutely. So if you're listening, definitely look for that label because <laughs> that's Absolutely. one way that you would certainly help bats. So Dr. Rodrigo, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been an honor. Thank you for all that you do. You're making a difference. I've had a blast. Thank you for having me, Crystal. It's nearly impossible to calculate the value of the ecosystem services that bats provide.
From pest control to seed dispersal to pollination, their existence benefits us in more ways than we even realize. However, large-scale industries, such as what agave has become, tend to use farming methods that negatively impact bats and many other species. And in reality, it makes them vulnerable too. For example, in the case of agave, diseases can spread more quickly in monocultures, endangering the crop to widespread failure unless intensive synthetic inputs are used, such as pesticides and fertilizers. And those create a whole other set of problems that we can talk about another day. Dr. Rodrigo has shown that allowing just 5% of these plants to flower and be naturally pollinated by bats would bring enough genetic diversity to help strengthen and protect this culturally revered crop. By letting nature do its job, it's a win for farmers and a win for bats. Don't forget to go to forcesfornature.com and sign up to receive emailed show notes, action tips, and a free checklist to help you start taking practical actions today. Do you know someone else who would enjoy this episode? I would be so grateful if you would share it with them. Hit me up on Instagram and Facebook at Becoming Forces for Nature and let me know what actions you have been taking. Adopting just one habit can be a game changer because imagine if a million people also adopted that. What difference for the world are you going to make today?